Welcome in to the Sugar Bowl preview episode of Please Bear With Me. I'm your host, Travis Corley. Hoping everyone had a very Merry Christmas and hoping everyone has a Happy New Year. Especially, we'll be much more happier with the Baylor win on January 1st down in New Orleans. Hoping there's actually going to be a game now that we've seen so many bowl games being canceled because of, yes, you and I both know, COVID. So hopefully this game happens. We're hearing good things leading up to the game that it's going to happen. But hey, you never know. We'll see. On this episode, we're going to talk Baylor Bowl history. We're going to recap the 1957 Sugar Bowl win over the Tennessee Volunteers. Brad Logan of Inside the Rebels 247 Sports and host of the Believe in Ole Miss podcast is going to join us and give us what we all are wondering about this Ole Miss team. And then I'm going to cap it off with some stats and, of course, a game prediction. So here we go. Please bear with me. Once again, thank you for joining us on this Sugar Bowl preview episode. I'm your host, Travis Corley. Let's jump into this Baylor Bowl history. We're going to go back to 2010, and then I'm going to take you all the way back to 1957. Yes, 1957. But first, this is actually Baylor's 10th bowl game here since 2010. And uh, just we're, we're just going to rattle right through them here, starting in 2010 with that Texas Bowl was a loss to Illinois, 38 to 14. Uh, very next year, to, uh, 2011 Alamo Bowl is the RG3 Heisman year where we beat Washington, 67 to 56. In 2012, we played in the Holiday Bowl. We won 49 to 26 against UCLA. 2013, the Fiesta Bowl was Baylor's first BCS Bowl, and it, it was a loss, a painful loss there to UCF, uh, eventual Big 12 member, 52-42. to 42. And remember, this was the just terrible loss to Oklahoma State in Stillwater, and, you know, we win that game and uh, likely, likely make the national championship game. Um, this was the last year before the playoff there. So uh, a loss to UCF in 2013, our first BCS Bowl. In 2014, we followed that up with another BCS Bowl in the Cotton Bowl. Um, (laughs) Man, a a loss 42-41 to to Michigan State there at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas. And this personally for me has to be a top three loss in just my personal Baylor football history mind. You know, this was the year 61-58 with TCU. This was where the committee decided to take Ohio State over Baylor and TCU. And Ohio State ended up winning the national championship that year. Uh, But this game blew a 20-point lead 
in the fourth quarter. Um, wow. It blew a 20-point lead. I believe it was 41-21. to 21. And in that stretch, that included a missed field goal and a blocked field goal. So a very painful memory for me there. Um, that was the last bowl game, Baylor bowl game, that I actually attended, 2014 Cotton Bowl. 2015, the very next year off of two straight bowl losses, uh, we go to the Russell Athletic Bowl. We beat North Carolina 49-38. to and I sent a tweet about this last week in light of hearing uh, the A&M news that they were not going to play in their bowl game. I heard a big reason for that was because they didn't have a quarterback. And so that brought me back to this game because, hey, we also did not have a quarterback, but we played and we won because we went for a whopping 645 yards rushing led by Johnny Jefferson, and I actually think he threw three passes, and uh, <laughs> his quarterback rating was a 99.9. Yeah, Johnny Jefferson, 645 yards rushing. That uh, will forever be one of my favorite Baylor Bowl games, and a huge shout-out to at by the Numb Bears. Yes, by the Numb Bears for this stat. Uh, only two FBS teams have rushed for more than 645 yards since the year 2000, that being Rice and, of course, your Baylor Bears. Let's move on now to 2016, the Cactus Bowl, now uh, getting a second bowl victory in a row with a win, 31-12 to Boise State. And honestly, I don't remember much about this game. And then uh, 2017, we missed the bowls. Uh, miss bowl game there, 2018 Texas Bowl. That was Rule's second year, uh, third straight bowl win with a 45 to 38 victory over Vanderbilt, which moves us to our first New Year's Six Bowl, our second Sugar Bowl appearance uh, in the history of Baylor football. 2019 uh, was a loss to Georgia, 26 to 14. Uh, like I said, already uh, the first New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl for Baylor. Rules last game at Baylor. Uh, we were pretty outmatched in this one, uh, that 26-14 loss to Georgia. And then last year, of course, 2-7 uh, and seven didn't make a bowl game, at, which brings us to now, 2021. You know, the game's actually happening in 2022, so call it, you know, whatever you want. But another New Year's Six Bowl for Baylor. Uh, we have not won a BCS or a New Year's Six Bowl. So would be nice to get that, uh, th that monkey off of our back. And speaking of Sugar Bowl and Sugar Bowl history, this will be our third appearance in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, 2019, we already talked about that loss to Georgia. This year, which we're going to talk about here eventually, but also our first appearance being 1957. And let's take a walk, a stroll down memory lane in 1957. I actually sat down and watched this game. Yes, I watched the game. It's on YouTube. It's for free. It's only about 30 minutes. And it was pretty fun to watch just to see how <laughs> just crazy how football has changed, uh, where it came from, because guys were playing like multiple positions, you know, quarterback, uh, safety, punting, punt returning. You know, uh, so it it basically was just like, hey, get your most athletic guys out there and, and basically let them play the whole game. So really kind of fun for me to watch as just a Baylor football fan, as a football fan in general. 
um, to see how far the game has come. And in that 1957 Sugar Bowl, uh, number 11 Baylor defeated a then undefeated SEC champion, number two Tennessee, final score 13 to seven. Some fun facts about that Sugar Bowl. Uh, Tennessee was a seven and a half point favorite. There was 80,000 people in attendance, uh, roughly about 80,000. And for, for it being 1957, that was pretty crazy to me. Like people ha have been showing up for these games for now 60 and 70 years. And it's, it's just, it kind of was, uh, it kind of blew my mind. The halftime show was highlighted by the Tyler Junior College Apache Bells and uh, didn't know this. According to the announcer, they were, quote, the prettiest d drill team in the world. So <laughs> take that for, for what you will. Um, the Tennessee band I, I read was led by an Elvis impersonator. And apparently they were blaring the song Hound Dog as Baylor missed a field goal to start the game. And uh, Tennessee's Johnny Majors uh, lost the Heisman to Paul Hornig. Um, and Majors, like I, like I mentioned earlier, just played multiple positions for the Volunteers, was, was just a fantastic player for them. And <laughs> last little fun fact here, and it's, it's what this game is, what I, what I came to read was most memorable for, was not the actual upset that Baylor pulled, but it was a fight that happened during the game. Uh, Tennessee guard Bruce Burnham, and Baylor guard Charlie Horton uh, got into a scuffle on the ground and enter Baylor full, fullback Larry Hickman from the sidelines, runs in and kicks, yes, kicks Burnham in the face, breaking his nose and causing a concussion. I certainly would have been targeting in, <laughs> in, in this day and age. And, and I hate to laugh because, you know, he broke his nose and, and caused a concussion. So obviously not, not a great look for Baylor. Um, but uh, Larry Hickman was, uh, you know, ejected from the game. Um, but that was just wild to read and know that that was kind of what the game was remembered for um, post game and not, not a great um, win by Baylor, which it was a great win by Baylor. And now talking about that game specifically, let's just run through some of these plays here. Uh, Bob, uh, Baylor's Bobby Peters, he takes the opening kickoff back 52 yards into Tennessee territory. Uh, the Bears reach all the way to the four-yard line. We were actually going for it on a fourth down there in the first drive of the game, but a delay of game penalty. It moved us back five yards, forces the field goal, which we missed. And maybe you can credit the Tennessee band there uh, and that Elvis impersonator. Um, the first quarter there, it went scoreless until the second quarter when a 54-yard run by Baylor running back Del Schaffner, it helped cap off a touchdown drive where quarterback Bobby Jones finds wide receiver Jerry Markintel for a 12-yard touchdown pass on a fourth down play. And Baylor missed the extra point though, making it 6-0. to zero. So it was actually also funny for me to know that Baylor also had uh, woes at the kicking position back in 1957. It's, it's stuck with us over these 60 to 70 years. So that, that was pretty funny. Uh, and, and it went six to zero at half Baylor uh, until that third quarter when uh, the Tennessee player Johnny Majors uh, stuck to the ground. He threw two interceptions uh, in the game, but found the end zone on the ground 
made it seven to six. They made their extra point. And it looked like that was going to be how the game ended seven to six. But in the fourth quarter, Johnny Majors was also their punt returner. He was hit on a punt return by Bill Glass, who fumbled it deep in the volunteer territory. And Ruben Soggy recovered it for Baylor. And then it was Buddy Humphrey who found the end zone five plays later on a one-yard rush to make it 13-7. We made the extra point there. And then to end the game here, Bobby Jones, uh, yes, played quarterback, also played defense, intercepts a Johnny Majors pass. Uh, Baylor on our next drive is short on a fourth and one play right there around midfield. And then a big sack from Baylor on Tennessee's next drive as they were, were kind of moving the ball there into Baylor territory, deep in Baylor territory, but a big sack from the Bears set them back. And then uh, on Tennessee's last chance, Baylor comes up with an interception on a long pass, and that sealed the deal on a, on a big Baylor upset, our first ever Sugar Bowl win over an undefeated Tennessee Volunteers team. And I also read, you know, post-game talk, I've already said, revolved around that kick to the head by, by Hickman, um, who was extremely apologetic. It was seen on the Baylor bench, um, hands, hands, uh, head in his hands, crying um, for the for the remainder of the game, being ejected. Um, but Baylor stats, uh, j- just a, a great win for Baylor back there in 1957. Baylor stats, 275 rushing yards on 64 carries. They were three of 11 in the air for 25 passing yards. Uh, Del Schaffner, 14 carries for 88 yards. I believe he also had one of those interceptions that Baylor had. A wide receiver, Jerry Markintel, had all three of our catches for 24 yards, one of those being a 12-yard touchdown. And then the Miller Award recipient, which I assume uh, was the player of the game, goes to Dell Schaffner. So just a little bit of a <laughs> fun um, fun recap there of that 57 Sugar Bowl. Uh, it was fun to watch it. It was fun to read all about it. And, uh, you know, just adding more knowledge to my, to my Baylor football history. Hope... Uh, that I was able to do that for you as well. And like I said, that game is on YouTube. It's a quick, like 30 minutes. Uh, they just cut together all of the plays, every single play. And, uh, you know, it was a fun watch. So uh, congratulations to that 57 team. And, you know, we're one and one now in the Sugar Bowl. So hopefully uh, the game happens on January 1st. Hopefully Baylor's able to get our first New Year New Year's Six Bowl win. And hopefully... Baylor is able to have a winning record in in the Sugar Bowl and and go two and one all time. Now I want to introduce a segment I haven't been able to do all year. One of my favorites. Let's talk about this Dave Aranda press conference. Put on your boots. Let's all dance. Dave Aranda had a press conference. Let's say howdy and yeehaw. Dave Aranda's going to talk football. That's right, it is that time of the show where we talk about what Dave talked about in his Monday afternoon press conference leading up to this Sugar Bowl. He did mention the team was able to go home for Christmas. Uh, He said, you know, uh, one of the team's superpowers is relationships, you know, people and family. And he said having Christmas with their families, it was extremely important to him. Everyone was back in time on Sunday and, you know, hopefully nothing crazy uh, with COVID happened uh, while we let everyone go home. Uh, But I think, uh, you know, 
I think for me, that was extremely important. And obviously for, for Coach Aranda and the coaching staff was extremely important. He was asked about the quarterback situation and Shapin. Blake Shapin is not available for the Sugar Bowl. Uh, he hurt his shoulder there in the Big 12 championship game. And I think that brings to light a little bit more of what happened in those final drives with Blake Shapin. But he toughed us out for us, uh, toughed it out for us in that Big 12 championship game um, and getting that win. Um, but look, Gary Bohannon, he's looked very good in practice. He's been able to do everything that he used to be able to do. He's throwing the ball better and better. Uh, his confidence is gaining and gaining. And Aranda says he's, you know, likely going to start because he's he's been able to do the things. We're accustomed to, to seeing him do. He was asked what his approach is to bowl games. And he said, it's just an opportunity to show who we are. You know, interacting with people at the hotel, doing things off the field so people can see uh, who the who these, these players really are. And then j to the people watching on TV, it's just an introduction to Baylor football and how Baylor does things, and goes about their business. He was asked about uh, prepping for Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback. He says everything goes through him in this offense. He's got great awareness, great patience. Um, he is great on the one-on-one -on -one shots to the outside, and he can get out and scramble, which has been a struggle for the Baylor defense all year. Yes, Aranda even said that has been a struggle for us all year on the defensive side. And he's probably going to be one of the better mobile quarterbacks we face. That's not Dave Aranda talking. That's me talking there. Uh, but Dave does mention he's a great fighter and just uh, a great battler. And it's, it's going to be a great battle there on January 1st. Lastly, Dave was asked about the Ole Miss bend, not break defense. Dave says a huge part of the game is going to be capitalizing on red zone offense. Says we haven't been super successful finishing drives lately. You can look um, right there back to the Big 12 championship game. Did not do great finishing drives. He said they've spent more time on that and also just not committing penalties. He's talked about only having to play one opponent, and that is Ole Miss not playing ourselves as well. So, hey, not committing those penalties and finishing in the red zone. And he says they need to take things that Ole Miss thinks are advantages on defense and turn them into disadvantages. And he says uh, for them to do that is going to be by play calling and angles and just kind of switching some things up in the red zone. So that will be something something to look for there from the Baylor offense. Can Yes, can we sustain drives? Can we get that rushing attack going? But then, when we get in the red zone, can we cap off those drives? Now, let's welcome Brad Logan of the Believe in Ole Miss podcast and Inside the Rebels on 247 Sports to please bear with me. Baylor fans, help me welcome Brad Logan of Inside the Rebels on 247 Sports of the Logan Media Network of WJTV, 12 News Sports, and of the host, Believe in Old Miss podcast. Brad, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We, we appreciate you joining us and, and giving us a different perspective and giving us an, an Old Miss perspective on, on this Sugar Bowl. And, you know, first off, what an outstanding season 
for Ole Miss um, coming off of a five and five year last year. Was that a bit of a surprise making that jump this year for you? I think so. I think more than anything is what Ole Miss was able to do offensively under Matt Corral and defensively, of course, Matt Corral being uh, the quarterback and then defensively under DJ Durkin, the defensive coordinator was much maligned, to be honest. I mean, it was one of the worst defenses in the country last year. And to have a defense this year where if you look at numbers, you're probably not going to see that big of a an improvement. But what you're going to see is that Ole Miss played games like Arkansas against Tennessee, against Liberty, against Auburn, against Mississippi State. All those games were big for Ole Miss because the defense kept them in the game or in some instances against Tennessee and Arkansas won the game. So I think they've done some things a little bit differently this year whether it be defensive or offensively, that they've lost those games in the past. This year, they've found ways to win those games, and that's been the difference between a Music City Bowl and a Sugar Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And just, uh, you know, the coaching carousel this year was one of the wildest that we've seen in a long time, maybe the wildest ever. Was, was there ever a feeling around the fan base or around you of a possibly uh, losing Coach Kiffin at all? I think a lot of Ole Miss fans were, were sweating the Miami job mostly because that was the job in which Ole Miss knew that Lane Kiffin felt intrigued by uh, South Beach. Some people even went so far as to say that if he were offered the job, that he would take it. Now, there were some other jobs that opened that I'm sure you and your fan base heard about with LSU. With uh, at, at one point, there were jobs open all across the country, and, and, yeah. and it almost like it was kind of a running joke that – you're going to attach Lane Kiffin to the job. Yeah. At the end of the day, the Miami job w w was a legitimate concern. And and I think once Miami elected to go another direction with Mario Cristobal, it felt like that, that both Ole Miss fans and Lane Kiffin understood that Kiffin would be here, uh, here being Oxford for the foreseeable future. Now, the, what's problematic in that is that, uh, you know, all this is going on during recruiting. And so if this is happening during some important times during recruiting, how does that kind of trickle down to, you know, what you're telling the recruits, what you're telling the players that you're hoping to bring into your program when you're not even sure if you actually want to be here, if that's, you know, the best way to put it. So mm -hmm. uh, obviously recruiting has not gone well on the high school ranks. Now we're led to believe, and we've had a running thread on the board about how Lane Kiffin does a great job with the transfer portal right now. Ole Miss has not done particularly well with the transfer portal. Now we understand that a lot of that has to do with, if players possibly can enter the portal after the bowl game, we expect an influx of players, many of which maybe we do not know, many of which that Ole Miss has probably already targeted, is going to enter the transfer portal, and that's probably going to happen at the conclusion of the bowl games. We'll see what happens. But right now, I think there's been some lasting effects with Lane Kiffin, quote-unquote, true or not, flirting with other jobs. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think Baylor fans can, can relate to you uh, with with you guys on that this year, especially just seems like every every big job that came open, you know, Dave Aranda's name was attached to it. Yeah. And we were we were kind of in limbo there for for quite a while until things kind of calmed down and and some some things surfaced that made us made us believe that Aranda is going to stick around for a while. So um, it, it's it seems like Kiffin has kind of found a very good fit there in uh, in Mississippi. Well, he's able to do pretty much what he wants and. I think that says a lot for a head coach. You, you've got a very supportive athletic director in Keith Carter, a former athlete at Ole Miss, 
Uh, Carter is now uh, actually was uh, over the athletic foundation that oversaw funding for a number of years and then transitioned into the role as an interim athletic director when then athletic director Ross bolted for Texas A&M. Filled in okay. as an interim role, did a great job, made some good hires, and has been been really instrumental in the growth of the athletic department, specifically football, what we're talking about today. He hired Lane Kiffin, and uh, it's been a really good marriage, I think, so far for, for both uh, Lane Kiffin and for, for Keith Carter and the Ole Miss fan base. And, you know, obviously it's not South Beach. It's not on the water, but it's a <laughs> yeah. great opportunity for both Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss to grow. We've seen what Lane Kiffin can do if he's given the resources. And I think once this recruiting class kind of shuffles itself out, once Lane Kiffin kind of settles in, signed, you know, signed a new contract, we understand that Mississippi is a little bit different than other states, but he did sign a new contract uh, that was released a little bit earlier, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I expect it to, to be a marriage that goes on for a couple of years at least. And uh, I think for Ole Miss fans, a little bit of a sigh of relief that the coaching thing has kind of settled down a little bit and they could focus in on uh, the Sugar Bowl against a really good Baylor football team. For sure. And and you talk about the Sugar Bowl. And let's let's get into that Ole Miss football team now. Um, tell, tell us just a little bit about how the team is built. Maybe give us like your, their biggest strength versus their biggest weakness. Well, one thing that I think a lot of Ole Miss fans are maybe a little reluctant to admit, but, you know, the former head coach, Matt Luke, who's now the offensive line coach at Georgia, left some players. And uh, now, obviously, they may have been a little out of position with former offensive coordinator Rich Rodriguez, who uh, is now or it was at, at Louisiana Monroe. I think he headed over to Jacksonville State University as a head coach now. But, you know, there were some players there. They just maybe were not in the right, right position, offensively specifically. Defensively, not a lot of talent. And uh, last year, obviously, we talked a little bit about how that Ole Miss defense did not play well. I think more than anything, it's hitting the transfer portal. And, and I think Lane Kiffin did that before it was uh, more widely known than what a lot of folks are doing now. You know, you look at the Louisville game, and that's the very first game that Ole Miss played in the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic in Atlanta. Malik Cunningham was a very highly decorated quarterback. We've learned Malik Cunningham's actually coming back for another season. Really good quarterback. And everybody expected it to be a high-scoring high game, and it wasn't. It wasn't because the Ole Miss defense played really well. Played well because it had about three or four transfers that stepped in and played immediately. When you talk about a Mark Robinson, a former running back out of Southeast Missouri State, playing linebacker, you talk about an all-ACC linebacker and Chance Campbell uh, started immediately. You talk about Otis Reese, a transfer from Georgia that only played a handful of games a year before, had a full complement uh, of games for Otis Reese. And then a Jake Springer, a transfer from the Naval Academy. It was complete transformation because wow. of those transfers on defense. And that's wow. why Ole Miss has played so much, so much better on defense. Offensively, it's because of quarterback Matt Corral. He has done a – incredible job and people don't realize just how good he, he's done because he played with a an absolute skeleton crew against him for example against Auburn he didn't have his top receivers he did not have Dontario Drummond he didn't have Jonathan Mingo he didn't have Braylon Sanders he was throwing to walk-ons and out of position former quarterbacks like John Rice Plumley. so wow. uh, he, he, he did his best and at that point against uh against Auburn he had one leg he, he was playing on one leg when yeah. his ankles was messed up they, in fact, had, a, had an injury, had to send him to the 10. He comes walking out, comes back into the game. The game that everybody's going to remember Matt Corral and what had his, quote, Heisman moment was against Tennessee when he had such a big game against the Volunteers. 
and again, didn't have a his full complement of offensive players. So I think more than anything, you've got a quarterback that's kind of put this team on his back and has played incredible uh, his senior season or his last season as a Rebel. And then you've had a defense that had a lot of transfers. And you had DJ, DJ Durkin, defensive coordinator, his back was against the wall. And he really stepped it up this year. And the Rebels have really played well defensively. Well, wow, sounds like, yeah, I didn't realize you guys had so many transfers come in on the, on that defensive side. And, and hearing about that former running back that uh, moved to linebacker, I mean, that, that had to be an incredible story. We had a, a linebacker of our own move to running back, which has been one of our best stories of the year. And talking a little bit more about Matt Corral here, where, where would you say he stands just in the uh, old Miss quarterback history, you know, where, where would you say he ranks? You know, I, I think it would be hyperbolic to say that he's the greatest of all time, but I think honestly, uh, Travis, you could make the argument that he's the greatest quarterback to ever play at Ole Miss. Wow. And I think a lot of that is because of the system that he ran. I think a lot of it is, you know, having an opportunity to play in a system to where so many injuries occurred. And to have a quarterback that kind of put his team on his back, I've said that so many times. You know, this is a, this is a quarterback that, that threw a ton of interceptions last year. This year he only threw four. Yeah. Threw for 20, threw 20 touchdowns, 3,339 uh, 3, yards, and it and really played well. And you talk about running the football, and it was Matt Corral who was third in the team in rushing, played all 12 games had 542 yards on the ground, averaged 5.4 yards a carry. In five of those games, his right ankle was shot up with everything you could shoot <laughs> it up with just to play. So he was without question the glue that held this team together. And I think that's the number one thing you can say about Matt Corral. I think midway through the year, Matt Corral was in the running for the Heisman Trophy. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he fell off. He fell off because a lot of his receivers were injured. He fell off because he was injured. And Ole Miss just didn't play as well as it needed to do offensively. And they didn't win enough games. I think if Ole Miss maybe gets to 11 wins and, and, and maybe Matt Corral doesn't get injured down the stretch. But, it, you know, not winning the Heisman does not take away from just how good he played. You know, a lot of folks in Baylor uh, may not be aware of the Connolly Award. That is for the number one player in the state of Mississippi. Matt Corral won that this year and very deservingly uh, did so and uh, has definitely been the, 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 uh, the, the spur in the wheel for this Ole Miss team. Yeah, I yeah, I certainly did not know, had not heard of that award before. Um, and I think anyone that has watched Ole Miss play this year, I think they know that, you know, the engine is Matt Corral on, on that offense. But who else should should we watch out for on this old Ole Miss offense not named Matt Corral? Well, uh, if you're talking about rushing, I think you're going to be looking at a couple of guys. That's Jerry on Ely. Uh, Ely is more of a, a – a, uh, back that's going to go side to side. He's got some pretty good speed, but he's not the more of a physical back like a Snoop Connor. What we've mostly seen this year is that Ole Miss has gone Jerry Ely and Henry Parrish Jr. early in the first and second quarter. Midway through the second quarter, then they bring in the bruising back and a Snoop Connor. You'll see him go more north and south. Snoop Connor's finished the year 605 yards, had 13 touchdowns, and easily leads this running back room, averages 5.1 yards a carry. Matt Corral rushing, 11 touchdowns. You see Matt Corral run the ball wow. a lot in the red zone, specifically early in the year. Ely and Parrish, not a ton of touchdowns because they were, they, they're were usually used early in the game. Gotcha. So Ely itself, 749 yards on the season, average 5.8 yards a carry. Henry Parrish averages 5.4 yards a carry. As you can see, they average a good bit per carry, and I think that has a lot to do with how this offensive line is very experienced. 
It's got a couple of bookend tackles that I expect to go. Now, we, we think Jeremy James, the, le- the, the right tackle, may come back. But we feel pretty certain uh, that uh, a lot of these offensive linemen, you, you look at Ben Brown, who got hurt, the starting center, uh, hurt his shoulder. There is a chance he may come back. He hasn't declared for the, the NFL draft yet, unless we have not learned that. So we'll have to see what happens with him. Nick Broker, the talented left tackle, we expect him to go in the first round of the NFL draft. So uh, this is a very experienced late offensive line. That's why we've seen Matt Corral not be sacked near as much as he was last year. And that's why we've seen this offensive running attack be so potent this year running the football. Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited about that matchup with one of the one of the best offenses in the nation there with Ole Miss. And then, you know, Baylor's got a very stout defense that has won them, uh, you know, a handful of games this year. So very excited to watch that matchup. And let's switch over to that Ole Miss defense just briefly here. You spoke about them a, a little bit earlier, but what is like what would you say is the main main strength of that of that Ole Miss defense? Because like you said, well, you know, when you look at the rankings yeah. and the stats nationally, Nothing really jumps off the page uh, about right. this Ole Miss defense. So, you know, what is that? What is that main strength? Well, I mean, I'm excited to see what Baylor and the offensive lines are going to do with its uh, with defensive lineman Sam Williams. Uh, Williams was on a tear this year. He made All American. Uh, had 12 and a half sacks for 66 yards. Eight quarterback hurries. He had 15 tackles for loss. And a lot of this happened at the latter part of the year. And should have finished up with 56 tackles but was an absolute menace uh, down the stretch for, uh, for Ole Miss and for uh, opposing uh, defenses. I'm sorry, opposing offenses. So uh, Sam Williams is a player that, 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 that a lot of folks are going to be watching, and I expect, to, I expect better to have their hands full. Chance Campbell, the linebacker we talked about a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. led the team with 99 tackles, had 12 and a half tackles for loss, finished with six sacks. Another player to watch, Mark Robinson, we talked about him, uh, eight and a half tackles for loss and three sacks in the year. Defensive backfield, we did talk a lot about Jake Springer, talked a lot about uh, Otis Reese. One player to watch, a player that's really come on strong is A.J. Finley. The cornerback uh, the, the has had three interceptions and, in fact, had one really nice interception. Actually, that was Deontay Prince that had that toe-touching interception that made the sports center top ten against Vanderbilt. But mm, A.J. Yeah. Finley is a cornerback a that came on strong. Deontay Prince, a walk-on from Charleston, Mississippi, had a couple of interceptions this year. Played pretty well in that defensive backfield. Yeah, you nailed it. Not a lot of jumping off the page at you other than you look at the numbers of Chance Campbell, you look at the numbers of Sam Williams, a defensive lineman. Other than that, I mean, it looks to be a pretty pedestrian defense. The number one thing that Ole Miss did, you know, I tell folks all the time, their red zone defense is night and day from what it was the year before. Ole Miss was just a leak in Fawcett last year, allowing teams to score, field goals, you name it. This year, they did a great job, specifically in the in the battle for the Golden Egg against Mississippi State, mm-hmm. its arch rival, the last game of the year. MSU was only able to get six points in the first half whenever Ole Miss – I personally thought that they left probably 21 points on the board. Wow. And Ole Miss did a great job in the red zone defensively. They kept Will Rogers and Mike Leach in that offense out of the end zone in the first half. And I think, obviously, it was a key to the win of the game. Yeah, I mean, Wow. I think you've kind of changed my tune about the Ole Miss offense, just uh, defense, just talking there, because it sounds like you guys have some excellent individual players and have really come on strong near here, here near the end of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to Coach Aranda speak uh, this afternoon, and he talked about, like you just said, that red zone defense 
of Ole Miss and how you guys kind of have been playing a bend uh, but not break style. Right. And that certainly did show up in that uh, in that egg bowl. Um, and now uh, let, let's finish off here with the the actual matchup here between Baylor and Ole Miss. I mean, what what are what is the matchup that you're looking at? What excites you most about this game? It's probably not the most exciting in the world, but I kind of pointed out a little bit a little bit earlier. I am in, incredibly intrigued to see how the Baylor offensive line matches up with the Ole Miss defensive line with Sam Williams. I, mm-hmm. I expect Williams to be double teamed. If that's the case, does that open up an opportunity for a Cedric Johnson to, to take a step up, another defensive tackle for Ole Miss? Maybe a KD Hill can take a big step up for Ole Miss. Uh, is this an opportunity to, to for maybe a Quentin Bivens or someone to – to, to take a big step. So, uh, you know, we, we've seen Ole Miss and, and defensive coordinator D.J. Durkin do some things defensively with blitz packages with Mark Robinson, with Chance Campbell. Delayed blitz, it's very well disguised. So if Baylor can pick up those blitz blitzes, it's going to be quite difficult for Ole Miss to stop this Baylor offensive attack. I mean, they do such a good job, they being Baylor, in mixing again with the run, with the pass. I did see where uh, the second-team quarterback is not going to be uh, playing. Correct. So that's going to put – put everything on the starting quarterback. So yep. uh, I have no doubt that Smith's a great running back for Baylor. I, I expect him to get his yards. Uh, they're they're going to throw it around. You'll have to help me with the, the defensive player that, uh, that that does so well for Baylor that got all the awards. Uh, Jalen Petrie, uh, defensive yeah. player of the year uh, there for the Big 12. Yeah. yeah. And his numbers are staggering. I had a chance to look at those last night. And so what's Ole Miss and offensive line going to do with him? Are they going to double Petrie? And if that's the case – What's that going to open up another lane for another Bear uh, defensive player? So, but number one for me, I'll be honest with you, uh, Travis, I'm looking to see what that offensive line is going to do with Sam Williams, Mark Robinson, and Chance Campbell on those delayed blitz. Yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you because I think the matchup for me to watch is can Ole Miss stop that Baylor rushing attack? And I felt pretty yeah. good about Baylor coming into this game with, with that rushing attack. But, man, you're, like I said, you're kind of changing my my feelings about that Ole Miss, Ole Miss defense here. Um, and, hey, but before we let you get out of here, Brad, um, what, what do you think the outcome of the game is going to be? You know, you don't have to give me a final score or anything, but, you know, who, who do you think is going to yeah. win? And, and what do you, how do you see this game turning out? I don't know. And that's not a very good answer. Um, I just hey, I, don't I just know don't either. know because I don't know. Uh, I expect – I mean, I really honestly expect a high-scoring game because I think Baylor and Ole Miss are going to go toe-to-toe. I think Baylor, Baylor's defense is going to struggle with the tempo of this Ole Miss attack. I really do. I think they're going to struggle with trying to stop Jerry Ely, the running back. And I think with Ole Miss having its full complement of wide receivers, I expect them to open it up really early. On the flip side, I really like Baylor's running attack. I think Baylor could run for 200, 250 yards by the end of the day because I think they've got a great offensive line. They've got a really experienced running back and quarterback. So I think I think from a fan standpoint that, that people are going to really enjoy the Sugar Bowl, or the All-State Sugar Bowl, because it's going to be very high potent, high offense, high octane. I expect a 38-35 game. I think it's the flip of a coin, honestly. I, if this thing came down to three or four points, I would not be surprised at all. These are very – uh, I think they're very uh, matched up very well. And I, I think Dave Aranda is one of the best defensive minds. I do think he's going to to cause some problems for this Ole Miss offense. On the flip side, this Ole Miss offense is – it's one that's interesting because a lot of Baylor fans understand the history of Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I do know this. I do know that Levy wanted to come back and coach one final game against, uh, against Baylor. 
I do know that Matt Corral specifically said, I want, I want Jeff Levy to be my offensive corner. I want to go out in style. And necessarily, it doesn't matter who the opponent is, but I'm excited yeah. to, to, to go one more round as a Ole Miss quarterback. So there's a lot of incentives on both sides, whether it be Baylor or Ole Miss, to get a win. I think it's going to be very, let's just say, I think it's going to be very high octane. And I think it's going to be very festive on both sides of the ball, coaching and playing. Yeah, hey. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I'm right there with you. I've been looking at all these bowl games coming up. And I mean, I feel like this is one of the only bowl games where both teams have their full coaching staff. Both teams don't have any opt outs, you know, for, for NFL draft. You know, we don't really know the status of, of anyone out for COVID yet. We're hoping no one is out. We're hoping the game happens. But just from that standpoint of both teams being full strength, it's one of the only bowl games. And, like you said, I think it's one of the best matchups, one of the best offenses versus one of the best defenses. And I'm right there with you. I think it's it's the flip of the coin. And I think if Baylor can can really get that rushing attack going, if they can control the time of possession, keep that Ole Miss offense on the sideline because Baylor has struggled, like you said. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Baylor has struggled against teams that go up-tempo and we haven't played a team that goes quite up-tempo as Ole Miss, and that plays side-to-side like Ole Miss does. So, man, I, I am very, very excited about this matchup. And, hey, like you said, could I, it could go either way. It really could go either way. Um, any last thoughts you got for us, Brad? I, I think you, you, you just – you killed it, man. You killed it. Any last thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to, to get to New Orleans and, and, you know, I'm not going down the rabbit hole or any political links or anything like that with COVID. And, and I'm not going to give my thoughts on that. I'll just echo what you say. I really hope we're playing this game. Yeah. Uh, New Orleans is like a second home to my wife and I. So we, we know the city very well. Um, anytime you have a chance to go to the Sugar Bowl, and I just recorded a podcast and uh, it'll be available uh probably tomorrow, and it just kind of chronicles the history of the Sugar Bowl with Ole Miss and about this is the Ole Miss's 10th time in the Sugar Bowl. Oh, my gosh. And wow. uh, the Rebels have had, have had a really good history. The most recent game, of course, was the 2016 game, which Ole Miss beat Oklahoma State with Chad Kelly, quarterback, with Quan Treadwell at wide receiver. So this is an Ole Miss team that, uh, you know, as a kid growing up in Mississippi, I think a lot of kids, their goal was to play in the Sugar Bowl. And to, to have an opportunity as a fan, for a lot of fans, for Ole Miss fans, to go and to, to, to play a, a game in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans in the Superdome, I think that's kind of a goal. Lane Kiffin said that in his preseason – I'm sorry, prior to the Sugar Bowl when it was announced, uh, both he and Dave Aranda did the conference call. You may have been on that. And he said, you know, it's kind of a goal for every kid in the Southeastern Conference to play in the Sugar Bowl. So I think, if, if anything, Ole Miss fans can kind of pinch themselves and say, hey – we're playing the Sugar Bowl, and I think uh, I think that's what excites everybody right now. I think the scary part about that is is uh, these ridiculous protocols they have going on right now makes you nervous if you're a Baylor yeah. or Ole Miss fan. So just sure. kind of each into that finish line to try to get this thing kicked off. Yeah, we uh, we sure hope the game at least happens. And uh, Brad, uh, we we uh, we wish you safe travels, and we wish you you have a great time down there in New Orleans, and. Uh, Guys, check out Brad Logan. It's Believe in Ole Miss, and Believe is spelled B-L-E-A-V. Okay, that is the podcast, Believe in Ole Miss. 
I listened to some of them earlier today, uh, breaking down the Sugar Bowl, and it, he's fantastic. He came on and, and was fantastic for us. So, Brad, we appreciate you being here. And, uh, hey, check him out on Believe in Ole Miss. Thanks a lot, Travis. All right, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on the Ole Miss team and then kind of compare and contrast where Baylor and Ole Miss sit comparatively nationwide, uh, ranked nationwide on offense and defense. So Ole Miss, they're 10-2. and two. They came in second in the SEC West. Some notable games, lost to Bama 42-21, to 20, lost to Auburn 31-20. to 20. They beat Arkansas 52-51. And they beat Texas A&M 29 to 19. And they certainly have had a very tough schedule this year. And going 10 and 2 is, uh, man, that's fantastic. Especially, they kind of had a similar similar experience to us. You know, Lane Kiffin's first year there, uh, they went 5 and 5. They did win a bowl game. You know, not as terrible as Baylor was going 2 and 7. But, you know, they turned right back around in year 2 of their new head coach and have a 10-win season. And so now with a with a chance to cap it off with a New Year's Six Bowl, and then you heard Brad say, you know, I think this is the tenth time that Ole Miss is playing in the Sugar Bowl, and it's it's something that uh, you know a, a kids growing up in Ole Miss, you know, going to Mississippi or, or really going anywhere, but growing up in Mississippi, you, you dream about getting to that Sugar Bowl, and so that was some cool cool stuff to hear from Brad. I, I did not know that, so uh, certainly some special meaning for this game going in. Uh, for Ole Miss. And let's talk about that Ole Miss offense and where they rank. They are an elite offense. They, uh, it's, it's a Bryles-esque offense. I think the rushing attack looks a lot like the Bryles rushing attack we saw. And, you know, Jeff Levy, their offensive coordinator, was at, at Baylor uh, with Bryles. So definitely brought some of that to Ole Miss. And with Lane Kiffin's offensive knowledge there too, they've kind of molded it into a, a really, really good offense with a really, really good quarterback. And the first really true spread offense that Baylor's going to face this year. And so very excited to see this defense and see how Aranda schemes up against a a spread a spread offense. And we'll get into that uh, in my game prediction, but let, let's go over the where, where both these teams stand nationally ranked. Uh, Ole Miss offensively, a top 20 scoring offense, averaging 35.9 points per game. The Baylor defense is top 15, allowing just under 20 points per game at 19.15 points per game. Ole Miss is fourth in total offense in the country, 506 yards per game at 6.54 yards per player per play. The Baylor defense, total defense is 36th, allowing 347.8 total yards per game. Uh, the, the Ole Miss passing attack is a top 20 passing offense, 282.44 yards per game, um, led by Matt Corral. We've talked about him at length in this podcast, over 3,300 passing yards, 20 touchdowns to only four interceptions, 68.4% uh, com completion. He is a projected first round NFL draft pick and Baylor's got their work cut out for him. The Baylor passing defense uh, is our weakness, 70th in the nation, allowing 230.8 passing yards per game. The Ole Miss rushing attack, top 10 in rushing offense, 224.2 yards per game. 
highlighted by really four guys. Okay, they, they've got a potent rushing attack that they can spread out with Jerry and Ely is, is their leading rusher, a 5'9", 185-pound guy, is their quicker, shifty side-to-side -side back. He's got 703 yards on the year, a 5.8 average, and five touchdowns. And then Henry Parrish is, is, is a lot like Ely, will come in as well. He's got 542 yards and three touchdowns. But the other players I, I want to highlight is Snoop Connor. He, he may be their best back at 5'10", 220, kind of the bruiser back, uh, the one that's going to uh, initiate contact and, and lower his shoulder and come after you and be very physical. He's got 605 yards on the year, 5.1 average and 13 touchdowns. So both of their top two guys averaging over five yards per carry and 18 touchdowns. And then Matt Corral, the quarterback, he, uh, we've struggled against rushing quarterbacks. He is their third leading rusher, 597 rushing yards on the year and get this 11 touchdowns. So they like to use him in the red zone. And just watching Ole Miss play uh, over the scouting I've done recently, they run quite a few um, designed quarterback runs with Matt Corral. And now that he is 100% healthy from that ankle, that's going to be something, uh, a key to this Baylor defense is stopping Matt Corral in the rush, in the rush attack. I, I really believe so. The Baylor rushing defense is... This is what we got going for us. Top 15 in the nation. We only allow 116.9 yards per game. So a over a hundred yard gap there in Ole Miss averaging 224 and Baylor only allowing 116. Switching over to that Ole Miss defense, this is where they hurt the most. And this is where when Brad came on and talked, he kind of changed the way I thought about this Ole Miss defense, because looking at their stats and where they stand nationally, it's it's nothing to get excited about. But, you know, he, he highlighted some individual players and some individual stats there, and they've really come on near here in the second half of this season. They're 55th in scoring defense, allowing 25 points per game. Baylor, though, a top 40 scoring offense, 32 and a half points per game. They are 100th in total offense in the nation, allowing 428 yards per game. Baylor total offense is top 50. Uh, you know, we're averaging 430.7 total yards per game. So very similar numbers there, just in total yards per game. They're 96th in passing defense, um, not great, allowing 245.8 passing yards per game. The Baylor offense, uh, passing offense, not really great either when, when you look at the stats here. 81st in the nation with 216 passing yards per game. So very similar stats that were total, total offense uh, versus defense and total passing defense and Baylor passing offense. But here, when you get into the rush defense versus Baylor's rushing attack is the, is the biggest gap. Um, 102nd in rushing defense, that is Ole Miss, allowing 182.2 yards per game on the ground. Baylor, as we all know, that's the strength of our offense there. Our identity, a top 20 rushing offense with 214.7 rushing yards per game. I would expect us to be able to establish something there on the run. If we're not able to do that, it, you know, it could be a long day for your Baylor Bears. So that's just kind of how we line up. Um, Stats-wise, um, comparing and contrasting Ole Miss here to Baylor, and let's get into that game prediction. Game prediction! 
Yes, what is your game prediction? I will tell you right now. So the matchups I am going to be watching for in this game is that Baylor passing defense versus Matt Corral. Baylor on the year, 34 sacks. Ole Miss has allowed 24 on the year, which is not too shabby. Uh, already mentioned Corral, their third leading rusher. He's not going to be dealing with that ankle injury he suffered earlier in the year. He should be 100% healthy moving into this game, and he can move. He can really move. He's going to be one of the, the most mobile quarterbacks we face this year, ability-wise, and you know maybe one of the best stats-wise uh, rushing when we talk about quarterbacks that, that we faced all year. And that has been the Achilles heel of this Baylor defense is, is letting quarterbacks get out and, and run against us. So that is a, certainly a matchup to watch um, when he gets back there and and tries to slice and dice us, which he can do. He is that good. Um, he is, I mean, I already said he's, he's in a first round NFL caliber quarterback. And in college, when you have one of those, you're, you're, you're just, at, it takes your offense to a whole new level. And also, you know, Baylor's defensive backs in, in passing has been a, another weakness for Baylor and also teams going up tempo has been a weakness for Baylor. So th this old Miss team, kind of, their advantages on offense kind of lie where our disadvantages are. They're up-tempo, they, they spread the field, they go horizontally and hit you with speed. Almost every one of their plays is going to be an RPO type play with lots of options. So this matchup of the Baylor passing defense versus Matt Corral is going to be something to watch. Can Baylor keep Corral contained and bring him down? Can the passing defense and the pass rush keep up with the tempo and make those timely stops? You know, this is a very exciting matchup for me to watch for the Baylor defense. Baylor offensively, the matchup I'm going to watch is actually the Baylor passing attack against a not so great pass defense from Ole Miss. I mean, even worse than Baylor's pass defense. And we all know how good our rushing attack is. It's elite. We've got two of the best tandem backs here in the nation, the, the two best in the Big 12. And Ole Miss, you know, not great at stopping the run either. But what has made Baylor so successful on offense recently has been that passing attack. Think back to the Big 12 championship game. Shapin, he completed his first 17 passes, and we scored 21 points in the first half. You, you, you have to believe if he doesn't have the shoulder injury, which we all know now know about, uh, was a little bit more severe, I think, than we thought in the game. Maybe we score a little bit more. Maybe we throw it a little bit more in that second half. But I really am going to be watching that passing attack of Baylor. Can we establish that run early and, and score relatively easy? to keep up with that Ole Miss offense, I think we're going to have to be very efficient in the passing game. If Ole Miss is able to stop the run, put us in second and third and longs, you know, that, that passing attack is going to have to get it done. So either way, whether we run the ball well or don't run the ball well, it's going to have to be a very efficient game from Bo Hannon passing the ball. And that's probably been the worst part of his game this year. And now he hasn't played in, in two games and now close to 
like four or five weeks, maybe even six weeks that he's been able to play, you know, game speed. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that coming into this game. So I'm going to be watching that Baylor passing attack. Does Bohannon have it? Does he have it this game? Uh, we'll see. We certainly will see the Baylor rush attack. Uh, how well that does is certainly going to going to help him. Only help him. It's going to only help any quarterback. The the better your rushing attack is. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to be have to be extremely efficient in the pass game, and we're going to have to score thirty to win this game. We're going to have to score over thirty to win, and a big part of that is being able to hold the Rebels to under 25 points, which I'm not sure we can do either. I'm really not. I, I, I trust in our defense that it's going to play well, but this Ole Miss offense is just elite. And so the one thing that worries me is if we can't get off to a quick start and we let this Ole Miss offense stay on the field and we make our defense have to guard this up-tempo offense, that is what worries me and what ultimately is going to be the number one factor in, in Baylor losing this game. If we can't start early on offense and score early, if we didn't score early against Oklahoma State, we lose that game. That, that has been one of our Achilles heel on offense this year is scoring early. And I think it's going to be even more important in this game because we know in those up-tempo offenses, once you get a good little lead, it is hard for others to keep up with you. And so, hey, this is going to be one of, I think, the best bowl games out there. It's going to be one of the best matchups out there. It's one of the only bowl games where both teams have their full strength of coaching staff, their full strength of players, hopefully, barring any COVID, COVID late COVID stuff. But no, no players from either team have opted out. And both teams have... NFL guys that are going into the draft, but all those players are playing. We're not having any opt-outs and it is going to be a hundred percent strength on a hundred percent strength and a very exciting matchup. It could really go either way. I think it's going to be a one possession game. I don't think we hold, hold Ole Miss to under 25, but I do think we hold them under 30 and Baylor wins 31 to 28. Huge shout out to Brad Logan again. Thank you for joining us and giving us that opposite perspective of Ole Miss. Lots of good stuff there. Really appreciate you coming on. Baylor, an excellent chance to get to 12 wins, which would be a program record. And honestly, if that happens, I might be ready to say this is the greatest Baylor football team of all time. Cannot wait for Saturday. Cannot wait for game time. Should be a fun one. Sick and Bears. The Please Bear With Me podcast was created by Scotty Swingler, is hosted and produced by Travis Corley, in affiliation with 247 Sports and Bears Illustrated. <laughs>